Hollywood Live Extra with Tanya Hart. I'm Tanya Hart. On today's show, my guest is one of the greatest stage, television, and film actors of our time, Joe Morton. This is Hollywood Live Extra. Joe Morton. He's got so many credits, too numerous to mention. But, you know, I remember Joe back in my Boston days when he was working with uh, John, director John Sayles and Brother from Another Planet. That was way back in 84. Fast forward to 2014. Joe Morton won the Primetime Emmy Award for his outstanding guest actor in a drama series for his role as Eli Pope, Olivia Pope's father in Scandal. And then last year, Joe showed up as Silas Stone, father of Victor Stone, cyborg in a cameo role in Batman versus Superman. And he is reprising that role again in this year's Justice League. Welcome to Hollywood Live Extra, Joe. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Welcome. Y- yeah, good morning, well, you know, Good morning. You are very busy these days. I mean, the Justice League scandal, and uh, you're doing a play here, a stage play. But I got to ask you, you've been in the business a long time. Did you see the superhero trend coming where we've got all these black men playing superheroes, even though we know y'all been that in real life forever? <laughs> um, you know, I think it's probably been somewhat of a struggle. I think when I first started in the business, the prospect of um, a black actor or actress playing a superhero uh, was probably not in the offing. Um, and this is something that's, that's sort of come around over time um, and over a, you know, um, an industry that was willing to sort of uh, change its mind about whose faces or whose faces should not be on the screen. Yeah, that's really true. And and I think a lot of it, you know, it's like everything else. It's supply and demand. <laughs> I would imagine that, you know, again, we always want to see ourselves. And since we are a good percentage of the moviegoers these days, do you, do you think that that really did play into any of this? I think it's probably more political than that. I mean, I think that we've always been a large percentage of the moviegoers, um, and for the longest time, Hollywood uh, just took that for granted, knowing they could get our dollars and they didn't have to put our faces on the screen. I think over time, that began to change, where people started to speak out loud about not seeing their images on the screen, um, and Hollywood to. Um, I remember what just happened a few years ago about, you know, uh, Oscar White or White Oscar. Um, White Oscar, so yeah. This is, this, this is still um, something, I think, that uh, a conversation that still needs to uh, take place and gets better, hopefully, uh, year after year. Well, let's hope so. In the meantime, tell me a little bit about your character. For, it, for those who have not seen any of the Justice League series, tell me a little bit about your character. Uh, Silas Stone, as you said, is the father of uh, Victor Stone, Victor being the cyborg. Uh, the long and short of the story is that um, uh, Silas's wife and son get into a terrible car accident. He loses his wife, but manages to literally put his son back together, but puts him back together in a way um, that makes him kind of look monstrous. Um, he has a mechanical arm, he has a mechanical eye, all kinds of things. And, and it, because of that, the uh, relationship between father and son is, is strained, to say the least. Now, does, is there like kind of a backstory to the father too, like how all of that really happened? Well, in that uh, the dad is a obviously a scientist who's involved in research. He's a father who is not at home a lot. Um, his son, you know, is a, a fairly uh, is a good football player at height in, in school, et cetera, et cetera. And the dad's just not around. So a lot of this, um, in terms of trying to save his son, had to do with his own guilt, and then it sort of 
turns into something else as um, Victor realizes who and what he is. Wow. Well, I, I cannot wait. I, I honestly have not seen it yet. They've got a screening coming up for for all of us who have not been able to see it. But um, I'm right. looking so forward to it. And of course, it opens up uh, well on the 17th. So right. we will be airing this before it it, uh, it does open. So I'm so excited about this. And we've got so many other I mean, you know, there's TV series coming out now, uh, where again, we've got our, our black superheroes. So I think, I think we're here to stay on this one. Oh, I, I mean, I think we're here to stay. I don't think that's going to change. It's just, as I said before, I do think that it was something that happened over time. I don't think that, yeah. um, I mean, I think for the longest time what black actors heard was that there was no particular interest and no particular audience who were interested in seeing uh, black actors or actresses uh, play superheroes. And that, and that, fortunately, has changed. Yeah, no, it really has. Well, talk about changing times. Good Lord, I cannot believe this is the last season of Scandal, because I've been a gladiator. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Being the last season makes it makes it all that much more exciting. Because um, yeah. for us, um, it, it means that Shonda and the writers over at Shondaland are just going to, you know, make everybody's head explode by the time we get to the very last episode. So, Oh, my gosh. Uh, I think it's going <laughs> to be a very exciting um, season. Uh, I think all of us in the show are feeling, um, as somebody mentioned earlier this morning, some, you know, feeling blessed at what we had for seven, seven years, seven seasons. I mean, seven seasons is a, is a wonderfully long time to be doing a television show. And I think that Shonda basically felt like she wanted the show to go out on top. Didn't want it to turn into one of those shows that um, you know people start saying, "Gee, they used to be so good." That, on top of the fact that Shonda has always said that she had a very definite ending in mind for Scandal. Well, not only that, but at this point in time, to our our real political climate, it, it's almost you know. <laughs> no matter what you write in, and good Lord knows that, that you guys do such a great job in the writing on that, but the real-life stuff that's going on just uh, almost is overshadowing everything that's supposedly fiction. Oh, I mean, I, how do you I, write up I against agree. that? I mean, I think that uh, the um, what's actually happening, as opposed to what anybody could make up, um, is incredible. I mean, I think from day to day, um, the news is something that is probably far more tyrannic than anything anybody could write. Absolutely. So uh, I think that she's right about that. She kind of picked, you know, she didn't know that all this was coming, but the time, this will, I cannot wait. And I, I've, I've followed the show every, every, and I watch it in real time, too. I'm one of those people. i got to watch the show in real time. But, uh -huh. you know, you have delivered some dialogue. I've got to tell you, on that show, it is so fast and so spitfire and so on the edge of your seat and on the edge of everything. Now, I know it's written, but do you get a chance to infuse your own self? Or how does that happen? Well, um, no, we're not allowed to change a word of dialogue. So what you hear me say is exactly what's been written. I mean, that's, the, again, the beauty of, of, of doing her show is that the writing is so spectacular. And then our part of it, obviously, is they just let us endow it with what we believe to be the truth of the moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When, you know, thinking about go, going back to Justice League a little bit, when you're acting in a movie like that where you've got all the computer graphics and you've got all kinds of action and stuff going on versus, and of course that's film, versus doing television, for you, is the process different? No, the process is still the same. I mean, the actor's job is still going to be the same no matter whether you're on stage or whether you're on 
uh, on the screen. The only difference is um, if you're on stage, your whole body has to sort of fill the house. You have to reach the back of the of the um, uh, venue, whereas when you're on screen, the process is the same, but you don't need to be quite as big because the camera comes in so close. Yeah, interesting. So just in terms of, again, the Justice League, like I said, you've got a lot of computer graphics. So when they're staging it, uh, are you like, sometimes you can't really see what's going on around you. I'm trying to explain this to the audience. I can't really see how these things are done. Well, I mean, it's funny because um, we use a lot of computer gra- graphics in Scandal as well. And there are moments when, for instance, um, in, in um, Justice League, where the set that may be that we may be on or in or whatever it is, is only partially built and everything else is what we call green screen. So they actually project something around us once they put it together. And the same thing is true with Scandal. A lot of the times that you see us sitting in a park and you see the monuments around us and so forth, we're not, we've never go to Washington to shoot that stuff. We shoot it here in L.A. And a lot of that is, again, green screen, where um, we're, we're looking at a green screen, whereas the audience will be looking at whatever the object is out in that park. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's just kind of interesting when you really see how these things are put together. I just want our audience to know that they're listening to Hollywood Live Extra. I'm Tanya Hart and talking to one of my favorite actors today, Joe Morton. So, Joe, now, you know, we mentioned at the top that you're also on stage. I know you are doing, which I'm also coming to see, a play here at the Annenberg Theater. Um, and you are doing a, a play based on the life of one of my all time favorite people, Dick Gregory. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that and, and how this came about? Uh, it's a beautiful play. It is about his life. Um, I play him at uh, all kinds of different ages, when he's in his 20s, when he's in his 40s, when he's in his 80s. Um, it is uh, an amalgam. It, essentially, the play is a call to action, I mean, as, as he was. It, it talks about um, uh, a man who, first, as a comedian, broke the color line on television on the Jack Parr show. He was the first black comedian, one to talk about race and politics, flat-footed, as he would say, and the first comedian to sit on the couch, which doesn't sound like a big deal anymore because everybody does it. But back then, in the 60s, most black performers who were brought onto television on talk shows were simply brought on to do their act, and then they were, they were told to leave. Um, mm-hmm. They never got an opportunity to sit and chat with the host, whereas Dick actually turned down doing the Jack Parr show, The Tonight Show, unless that was part of the deal. And he made that happen, and he was the first black uh, comedian to do that. He then became an enormous figure, as many people know. He was a multimillionaire. He made tons of money as a comedian, but he was also introduced vis-a-vis Medgar Evers to the civil rights movement. And at a point in his life, decided, uh, I think it was around 1973, to give up uh, comedy, to give up going to uh, comedy clubs, and become an activist 24-7. Um, so he, he turned down a tremendous amount of money, or if he received a tremendous amount of money for doing a particular thing, he would turn it over to the movement and became this completely dedicated activist. Um, he also wrote uh, diet books. Uh, he was someone who that's would right. fast. The Bahamian diet, that's right. The Bahamian diet, that's right. Uh, he would fast in protest uh, at one point, uh, again, in the 70s, he um, went without solid food for nearly two years to protest the war in Vietnam. And he turned all that into the Bahamian diet uh, and then made some money off of that and then, again, would use that money to um, uh, support the cause. 
So he was one of the most unique individuals, I think, that have come down the pike in a very long time. I keep thinking that the analogous, his life is almost analogous to Christ in that he was giving up everything. He was sacrificing everything in order to make it, um, to make this world a better, a better place for, uh, black Americans. Yeah, he, you know, he really did. I have to tell you, he he was one of my longtime friends and mentors. I, I've known him for more uh-huh. than half of my life. And so when he was here in Los Angeles last October 8th, he did a three, he sold out three shows over at the Improv. And we hung out with him that whole time. But my best, one of my better stories is a year before that, which was what, this is 2015, um, I was in um, in Pittsburgh, and he and longtime friend Bev Smith, uh, we were doing something there. So he kept us up, literally, all night long, talking, laughing, telling stories. It was like 6 a.m. Bev mm. and I are about to fall out of our seats going to sleep. And he says, well, I got to go. I got to catch a flight. I'm going to Switzerland. And that was it. <laughs> he just yep. got up yep. and just... Yep, I'm like, that's him. Oh, my goodness. So I cannot wait to see this. What was it? I mean, clearly, he's an inspiration to you. But uh, hopefully people everywhere will see this, not us just here in, in L.A. Are you thinking about doing this as a film or something? Well, um, we did it uh, off-Broadway in New York last year. Uh, we're gonna, we've been doing it here in L.A., and we, um, this production ends on November 19th. And then the hope is that we go back to New York and we'll do it on Broadway. Um, somewhere along the line, uh, I think there might be a film. Uh, certainly everyone keeps asking, which is a good sign. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm not sure how or when that will happen, but yes, I think eventually this will become a film. And Joe, you know, not to kind of change up a little bit, because it, it, it is and it isn't, because Dick Gregory stood for so much. And one of the mm. things that he did stand for was for women. I remember, you know, like I said, when I first got into the business, he was one of the first people I talked to. And, and we talked about a lot of things in terms of me protecting myself against some of the stuff that has now come out here in Hollywood mm-hmm. of all the predators. From a perspective, of a, a black man's perspective, first of all, I'm so glad that we have not seen a lot of us fall from this. Uh, <laughs> but but from a man's perspective, what in the heck is going on here? And and have we changed the tide because of the Harvey Weinstein thing? I mean, I think the casting couch and all of that horror has been going on in Hollywood for a very long time. And I think part of the problem was it was an accepted part of the culture um, that women would sort of come into this business thinking, I might have to do something terrible like this, but if it advances my career, I guess, I, I guess I'm willing to do it. And fortunately, times, as we were talking earlier about black superheroes, that fortunately times have begun to change. And there is now a wonderful sort of uh, cascade of women who are coming out saying, this happened to me, this is how it happened, we need to make this stop. And as much as we want to look at Harvey Weinstein as the beginning of all this, actually, we have to go back to uh, Mr. Cosby, um, who, mm-hmm. who I admire, certainly as a, a writer and a, as a humorist and, uh, and so forth. But it was sorely around him that all this began. And it's interesting that in both cases, um, the case kind of broke open because of a comedian telling a joke. Because um, a lot of the times, especially during the award ceremonies, lots of comedians would say things like, you know, now these two actresses don't have to pretend they like Harvey Weinstein. Um, uh, so that's this very is true. This is something that's been going on for a very long time. The same thing happened with Cosby. A comedian happened to mention something about rape um, in terms of Cosby in a joke. Um, and again, people started looking at it. So I think 
unfortunately, the culture is changing, that, mm-hmm. that we are beginning to look at um, all the horrors of what men in particular think they can do with women and how they think they can control them. And fortunately, the women are standing up and saying, no, that's not true anymore. We're not going to let that happen. And I think that's usually how these things stop, is that yeah. once the so-called victim decides no longer to be a victim and stand up and say, this is what needs to change, and then does something about it, that's when things begin to change. Well, let's hope so, uh, because clearly, like you said, it's been going on for a very, very long time. Um, and, and the lines, mm-hmm. you know, the lines are very fuzzy. I, I, I get that. Um, and I feel as bad sometimes for men as I do for women, unless you're a predator, because then you know what you're doing. But mm-hmm. just, you know, being in this business, <laughs> are men now feeling, don't talk to anybody, let me make sure you don't touch anybody. But does it make you feel a little bit different and a little bit more nervous? nervous, especially being a black man, where you know that on any given day, they could say, okay, you did that. Yeah, I mean, I think that if you are um, simply a honest and uh, truthful human being, there's nothing to worry about. There are always, um, you know, those moments that can be misinterpreted or, um, you know, where someone can accidentally do something like that thing that happened with um, uh, uh, Elder Bush, when suddenly he was being accused of touching women inappropriately, mm-hmm. and it turned out that it was a very innocent thing, and, and it had all to do with him being in a wheelchair and having nothing to do with him trying to take advantage of women. So I think that those kinds of things can happen, but on the, on the kind of larger scale or broader stroke, I think that if men just learn to be human beings with other human beings, there should be no problem other than the occasional um, uh, uh, misconnection or, or misinterpretation of a, of a moment, which is human. Um, but I think on the on the larger scale of things, I think um, people just need to learn how to be straight with one another. Oh, absolutely. And what is next for Joe Morton? Like you could put another thing on your plate. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, nothing I can talk about right at the moment. There's a couple of things that are beginning to happen that I'm very excited about. Um, and as soon as they do happen, uh, I will certainly let you know. But for the most part, my future at the moment, um, it looks like going to Broadway with uh, Turn Me Loose, which is the name of the play mm-hmm. at right. the Annenberg. Wow. Well, I got to tell you, and I'm this, so sincere about this, you are truly one of the best actors, not only of our time, but of any time. I appreciate you spending your time with us today. Um, thank you so much, Joe, and good luck. You're most welcome, and thank you. Oh, absolutely. You're listening to Hollywood Live Extra. I'm Tanya Hart. We've been talking with the inimitable Joe Morton. And you know what? Don't forget to subscribe to Hollywood Live Extra on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five star. I'm Tanya Hart. This is AURN.com. Hollywood Live Extra, a product of American Urban Radio Networks. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.